Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the shepherd of our souls, the great shepherd of the sheep, who gave up his life that we may have life, that we may have forgiveness of sins, that we may have the right to come before your holy presence in peace. Lord, we honor you and we thank you for your faithfulness uh, in the work of salvation, that you do not leave anything for us to accomplish. For any that has been and that could be left for us to accomplish would forever remain unaccomplished. So we praise the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, for he said it's finished. He did it all. He accomplished it. He purchased our salvation completely. And because of him, we have hope. We have a true and imperishable hope that when everything is said and done, we shall be found in his presence without blame. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for gathering us this morning that we may hear from you. Lord, may you prepare our hearts and our minds that they may hear from you, that they may learn, that they may see you as with eyes but spiritual eyes. Lord, we thank you for your word from the book of John. May you teach us that we may see Christ. We pray in your special name. Amen. The God of the Bible is one finger and it always points at Christ. The God of the Bible is summing up all things in heaven, on earth, and underneath the earth in Christ Jesus. And this has always been his purpose from before the foundation of the world. And so I have one major point, and I hope to always have one major point, Jesus Christ. And so our sermon today is titled, This Was He of Whom I Spoke. This was he of whom I spoke, and we are in John 1, verse 15 to 18. We are in John 1, verse 15 to 18. And this part of the book of John from verse 1 to 18 lays the foundation for everything else that comes in the book of John. From verse 19 onwards, John is just expanding on the first 18 verses. He's expanding on the first 18 verses. So let's hear what the word of the Lord says in verse John 1, verses 15 to 18. It reads, John testified about him and cried out, that's John the Baptist, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. In John 1.8, we hear of John the Baptist. We have an introduction of the person of John the Baptist. And we are told that he was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. John the Baptist was a man sent from God for a witness of Christ. He came to prepare the way of the Lord. And this is how he testified about the light. He cried out. John cried out because that was the manner of the Old Testament prophets. They cried out. When they brought God's word and judgment on the people on account of their sin. But on this account, John cries out not for judgment, not to judge, but to show people their Savior, to declare Christ to the people that they may know him. John the Baptist made a public declaration that Jesus was the Christ. And by this teaching, at this point, this is what John the Apostle is doing. He is beginning to apply what he has taught in the first 18 verses. So he now has this John the Baptist who is coming to bring witness. But the witness is not just the witness. It's there to authenticate what he has already said about Christ. So John's witness is there to build the testimony to who Christ is. At this point, and is still remember in verse 14, John has told us that this word became flesh. And John the Baptist is there to testify and witness to the word becoming flesh. So he tells us more about the Christ and yet connects that and says, this one is preferred before me. So John testified about Christ and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. If you go to the book of Matthew, in Matthew 3, 11, we hear John the Baptist saying this about Christ. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We are going to, if the Lord wills in the next week or the following week, give some teaching on baptism and baptism by the Holy Spirit and what that means because there's a lot of confusion there. But this is what we know. John has told us that this Christ is preferred before him. And yet we know 
that John was older than Christ according to his flesh. John was the son of Elizabeth. Elizabeth the son of sorry, Elizabeth the sister of Mary, Mary who was the mother of Jesus. And yet John comes and says, This one is preferred before me. He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. How are we to understand that? There were many people who pre-existed John the Baptist. Abraham pre-existed John the Baptist. Moses pre-existed John the Baptist. Jeremiah, Daniel, all these pre-existed John the Baptist, but John does not say the same thing about them as he says of Christ. So what are we to understand about what John is saying? Listen to Matthew 11, verse 11. Truly I say to you, this is Jesus talking. Among those born of women, there is not reason anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus says, of those born of a woman, there is none Greater than John the Baptist. So there could not have been. Abraham could not have been greater than John. Abraham could not be greater than John. And any of the Old Testament saints. King David. You name them. Could not have been greater than John the Baptist. Because according to Jesus. John is the greatest of all born of a woman. But then he says. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven. Is greater than he. What does that mean? Who is this person who is least in the kingdom, who is greater than John, and yet John is greater than all who are born of a woman? Could we say it is the poorest sinner in Christ who is greater than John? Could we say it is the worst of sinners who is greater than John? Or could we say This is the greatest of saints who is greater than John. According to Jesus' understanding, we have to have a different understanding to this. And I'm going to illustrate it to you from the words of Jesus and the words of Apostle Paul. Listen to what Jesus' understanding of greatness was. We have to understand what greatness is from the mind of God. Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And listen to what Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 4 to 11. You see, We'll continue to come back to these verses. The other time we're in Philippians 2 for a different reason. Today we are in Philippians 2, the same verses for another reason. But it's actually for one reason. It's to show you the preference of Christ above all. 
So listen to what um, the Lord says in, in, in um, Philippians 4. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 4 to 11. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. Pay attention to verse 7 and 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the, uh, death of the cross. Verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Verses 6, 7, and 8. Christ humbles himself. We are told that Christ is God. And he humbled himself. In what way? In two ways. By taking up human nature. God humbled himself by taking up human nature. And secondly, by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. So this is the humbling of God. This is the humbling of God. So Jesus is saying, I am the one who is least in the kingdom of God because I am the only one who has been humbled to the lowest of lowest as Jehovah's servant and I've died on the cross. So when Jesus says, Listen to this. Now, let's look, look at verse 9 and 10 uh, of Philippians 2. Because Christ has been humbled, because Christ has taken the servanthood, he is the lowest of servants. He says, if you want to be the greatest among all, you have to be the lowest of them all. So, now look at what has happened to Christ because he assumed that very servanthood that he was talking about. He says in verse 9, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So, the exaltation of Christ is coming because of his lowliness. It's coming because of his humiliation. So that Christ is at the very bottom of the bottom. And because of that, he is at the very top of the top. So he brackets everything. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the one at the very bottom. He is the one who is at the end. So because of that, at the name of Jesus, verse 10, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what was Jesus saying then in Matthew 11? That he who is least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. This was Jesus' way of saying he is greater than John the Baptist. This was Jesus saying, he is greater than John the Baptist. 
So, back to what John the Baptist was saying. The superiority of Christ could not have been because he pre-existed John in time. It's implied in there, but that's not really the main point. Because as we have learned, there were many who pre-existed John the Baptist. But they were not greater than him. So Christ has to have something more to him that makes his pre-existence more special than everybody else. John is saying, this Christ has a divine nature and a rank of office in the works of God that is higher than anybody. Christ was of a higher rank and order than John the Baptist or anybody for that matter. So this is confirming again the deity of Christ and his messiahship. Christ is preferred because he is the son of God, but not only that, he has been appointed by God to be the savior of his people and to be the judge of this world. He is before all things. He is from eternity. Christ is from eternity. And Micah 5.2 would say, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. That's Christ Jesus. A ruler is going to come out of Judah, and yet his going forth is from everlasting. And basically, that's what John is saying. So John the Baptist will continue with his testimony in John 3.31 and say, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So Christ came from heaven and he is above all. And Christ would say of himself in John 8, 23, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Christ is not of this world. Christ came from heaven. And if he's coming from heaven, it means he pre-existed. He's coming to earth. So John the Baptist says, this is of whom I spoke. This is of whom I spoke. John the Baptist spoke about Christ. He only spoke about Christ. He did not speak about himself. Later on, we are going to learn John the Baptist saying, he must decrease and Christ must increase. He spoke about, him, he spoke about Christ he delivered the things of Christ to the people and appointed them and pointed them to Christ. So even today, this is how you know that someone has been called of God to preach the gospel. It's not in the numbers that they have. It's in what they say about Christ and to whom they point you to. That's how you can tell. It's very easy to catch these things. It's not someone who has a Bible. It's not someone who is saying, Jesus, Jesus. 
is someone who purposes to show you the things of Christ so that you hold on to Christ and not to me or not to them. So, if you look at the preachers of today, how many can you say and their congregation take their congregation and say, okay, among these, let me show you the Christ that I've been preaching. There are different versions of Jesus that are out there. And on that day, if I were to stand with Christ, can I have the confidence to say, Berean, this is of whom I spoke. Will I have the confidence? Am I giving you enough of that Jesus that when I see him, I'll point you to him and say, this one, not that one. This one is the one that I spoke. And that's the purpose of us coming here. That you may see him when I point, it to him, point him to you. And we want to see Christ. We have to look to Christ. Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus' sake. I should not be preaching about myself. I have to talk about myself only as a recipient of grace, of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. As a sinner who has received grace from the Lord. Otherwise, beyond that, I have nothing else to tell you. I can only tell you about Christ. And it is our prayer, and it has to be our prayer here at Berean, that the Lord will continue to uphold me by his truth. That every time that I open the Bible, I see Christ. Because I can only bring to you what the Lord gives me. So the Lord has to show me the things of Christ as I'm reading. That way I will bring them and give them to you. So this preaching business, this preaching business is about showing people who Christ is. It's about showing people who Christ is. So the apostle John says in verse 16, For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For of his fullness, that is of Jesus, we have all received and grace upon grace. Because this one is preferred before John, is from everlasting, he has also given us grace upon grace. There's none who have been saved who did not receive salvation as a gift from God. There's none who has been saved who did not receive salvation as a gift from God. A lot of people will make the decision of Christ the make or break point of salvation. No, it's not. The make or break point of salvation is the cross of Jesus Christ. You are only coming in time to receive what God has already given you in Christ. You are only you're being invited to dinner. And you're saying, I washed my hands, and by washing my hands, I'm the one who made the dinner. No, you did not. You were just invited to eat the dinner. 
So when we come by faith to Christ, we are not the ones who are completing salvation. Salvation is already completed. You are only receiving the gift that God has given you. So we have received from his fullness, grace upon grace. In John 1.14, we were told that this word who became flesh was full of grace and truth. And the evangelist now tells us that from his fullness, we received grace. Moses did not have the fullness of grace. Men do not have the fullness of grace. When the Holy Spirit comes and purposefully say, from him, from his fullness we have received. Who has fullness but God himself? Christ is God. And it is from his fullness of grace that we have been made able to receive him. That we've been made able to believe in him. In John 1.12, we read Apostle John saying, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Those who received him only did so because he had given them his grace to believe. You are only a true believer in Christ because you received grace from Christ. There's no room for your decision with respect to the receiving of Christ. Your decision only is in response to what God has done. It seems like there's not much significance when we, the ordering of the statements, but they are way too important how you order them. Okay? You believe only because Christ chose you. You believe only because God has already saved you. If Christ does not first give you his grace to believe, you are not going to believe. If Christ does not give you his grace to believe, you shall forever remain an unbeliever. And if Christ does not give you a continuous supply, because when he says we have received grace upon grace, what that is saying is you have one grace, and when that grace is used up for the purpose that God has given it, he gives you a fresh supply of grace. That's what that is saying. It's grace upon grace. It's a continuous supply of grace all the way to eternity. Okay. So it is not our choice of Christ that makes us a believer, but Christ's choice of us. You did not choose me. That's what Jesus said. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And if we received all from Christ, then there's no room for boasting. And if we received all from Christ, there's no room for boasting. This teaching is everywhere in the Bible. It's right there from Genesis. John does not say it that way, but it's implied in his statements. Apostle Paul is the one who is going to say, why are you boasting as if you did not receive everything that you have from the Lord. Our sufficiency is from God, whatever it is. If you can see, it's from God. Even with your own eyes, it's from God. 
If you can breathe, it's from God. Our sufficiency is from God. So why boast as if you did not receive it from God? We want to teach on grace because we are saved by grace. And we are Berean Sovereign Grace Church. We have to understand something about grace. When you are reading the Bible, you are going to see something like this. You are going to see where grace is mentioned, it always comes first. Grace, when it comes to salvation, is mentioned first. For instance, 2 John 1.3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father in truth and love. 1 Timothy 1.2. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Titus 1.4. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. This is very purposeful. It doesn't read mercy, grace, and peace. It doesn't say peace, mercy, and grace. It's always grace, mercy, and peace. And we have to understand why. This ordering is very important. Okay? Without grace, there's no mercy. Without grace, there's no mercy. And without mercy, there's no peace with God. Even though grace, mercy, and even love are intertwined, there's a difference. Okay? Mercy, love, and peace with God are channeled only through the medium of grace. Who is Jesus Christ? Grace is the channel of all these things. And grace is 100% on God's terms so that none can boast. Grace always comes as 100%. It doesn't come in parts. It doesn't come as 99% or 20% or it always comes as 100% grace or there's no grace. So you are loved in Christ by grace. You are chosen in Christ by grace, as Brother Guido read from Ephesians 1. We are saved by grace in Christ, and we are justified by grace in Christ. So what is grace? Grace is God's favorable disposition. It's God's goodwill or kindness. You have to write this down. Grace is God's goodwill or kindness in Christ. It's God's kindness in Christ towards both the sinless and the sinful moral creatures. I'll expand it. It's towards both the sinless and the sinful moral creatures who are in Christ. You have to be in Christ for you to, ex- to experience grace. Who cannot attain a righteous standing before God 
by their own goodness. You have to be in Christ. Whether you are sinless or sinful, it doesn't matter. You are only going to have a righteous standing before God because you are in Christ. Who are the sinless then? And who are the sinful? We have the holy angels. Angels are created beings. They did not exist from everlasting to everlasting. Angels are created beings. And we know that the holy angels are sinless. They are sinless not because of their intrinsic righteousness. Holy angels are not as righteous as Christ is righteous. Only God is good. The holy angels are only holy angels because God chose them. And he chose them by grace. And he kept them from stumbling. Only God is good. Only God has intrinsic righteousness. Only God has righteousness that is according to his nature of being. So, the sinless angels did not have a standing with God because they were good. They only have a standing with God because God chose them by his grace. Electing grace. And these have been kept righteous by Christ himself. And then we have the chosen sinners. Chosen sinners, that will be you and me. We are sinners, but we also experience God's grace. The grace that we experience of God is in our redemption. is in our salvation from sin. We're going to connect this some more. Okay? We're going to connect this some more. But we have to understand this. Only God is good and has intrinsic righteousness, which means his righteousness is immutable. It cannot change. God cannot change. His righteousness cannot change. His righteousness cannot increase or decrease. Okay? Hear what Job says about the holy angels. In Job 15, verse 15 and 16, he says, Behold, he puts no trust in his holy angels. God does not trust even his holy angels. Listen to this. And the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. So God does not even trust the holy angels. That's why they're called the elect angels. Right? They're called the elect angels. We know from the Bible that they're the fallen angels. We have the fallen angels and we have the holy angels. And the difference in God's dealing between the holy angels and the elect angels who help us to understand the difference between grace and mercy, because there's difference. We use them interchangeably, but there's a difference. There's a difference between grace and mercy. Okay? 
the fallen angels individually disobeyed God. The fallen angels individually disobeyed God and fell into judgment and condemnation. But the holy angels never sinned. The holy angels never sinned. But then the question that we have to answer is, how is it that some angels sinned and others did not, yet they are of the same nature? Why is it that some angels sinned and others did not? Some will say it's because they disobeyed God. And that's true. But there's more to it. There's more to it that we can understand. That way we see grace for what it is and mercy for what it is. For we know from the book of Jude that God is able to keep us from stumbling. You have to read this. Jude 1, verse 24 and 25. This is what it says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and this is God, of course, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, but now and forever. Jude tells us here that God is able and the only one able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless. He says two things there. He is able to keep you from stumbling and also to present you blameless. Okay? And if God is able to keep you from stumbling, what caused him not to be able to keep the other angels from stumbling? It's because God had a purpose for them falling. God had a purpose for them falling. That he may show his grace towards the holy angels. What are we saying? We are saying God is sovereign. We are saying God is sovereign. Men don't like that. But God is sovereign. And he shall remain sovereign... Whether men agree with him or not, he is still the sovereign. Now, this is what has happened. The holy angels who never sinned did not experience God's mercy. They never experienced God's mercy. The holy angels experienced God's grace. God's grace kept them from stumbling. We on the other hand, experience mercy because we sinned. So mercy is the application of grace towards the sinful. The holy angels never sinned. So they experience grace is the grace of God that keeps them from ever sinning in the first place. Okay. So you never hear in the Bible the Holy Spirit saying grace, mercy, and peace towards the angels. The angels that did not sin have no need of mercy. And because they have no need of mercy, they have no need of peace with God because the grace that kept them from stumbling has given them all these things. But we need more than just grace. 
We need grace to be channeled to us in mercy. And because of mercy, now we have peace with God in Christ Jesus. So the fallen angels are fallen, they're sinful, and they have to experience the justice of God. They have to experience the justice of God. We as fallen also have to experience the justice of God. Okay? Because we are the fallen in Adam. But listen to this. This is very important. You have to understand this. But this beautiful stuff. But God made angels in such a way that they cannot die. Angels cannot die. And without death, there is no remission of sin. God made angels in such a way they cannot die. So the, the nature of angels is such that even if they sin, they don't physically die like we do. Okay? And that is why fallen angels cannot be redeemed. Because what does the Bible say? Without death, there's no remission of sin. So if angels cannot die, no one can die for them. And without death, they cannot be forgiven. So they shall forever remain unforgiven. That's very important. Okay? So the mercy of God cannot be applied to the fallen angels because there's no death, there's no substitute for them to die for them. Okay? The substitute that has to come has to be in the same nature as the ones who sinned. And this is why Christ has to come and take up our nature. That he may die. You see, the importance of the, of the human nature of Christ. Christ has to come and die because without death, there's no remission of sin. And praise the Lord then that since God is sovereign, there's nothing that stopped God to make Sister Dassel an angel. There was nothing that she decided that she wanted to be a human being. It was the Lord's doing that she was not an angel. Not only that, that she is not one of the fallen angels. Because if she had been one of the fallen angels, there would be no hope for her forever and ever. This is very important for us. Because this is the God that we are talking about. The God that we are talking about is saying that there's nothing that stopped him from making you one of the fallen angels. And there's nothing that stopped him from making you Judas. He could very easily, because if you're showing up now, he could have easily just take you back 2,000 years ago and be the one who kissed Jesus as to betray him. Very easily. So what are we saying? This is so that the grace of God and the mercy of God may be magnified in your thinking. And when you have this understanding, it's easier for you to fall on the knees before that God. We cannot talk about a God who is waiting for people to choose him. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible creates angels that he has determined to them. That his grace may be magnified 
even among the holy angels. And we see that ourselves, not everyone is being saved. And not everyone is going to be saved. And it's not because they didn't choose Christ. That's the secondary, tertiary reason. They did not believe Christ because God did not choose them. We are only in Christ by his doing. That's what Brother Guido said. Isn't, that's 1 Corinthians 30. By, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. God is in the business of glory. If you had to read any financial statement, it only says glory. He doesn't deal in anything but his glory. So, I need you to look at death in a different way. Because without death, there's no remission of sin. Death is not that bad after all. Because if God had given us a nature that doesn't die, right now you'll be very miserable. And because he has done that, death is God's gift to his people. Death is God's gift to you. Because a time shall come when people shall want to die and they won't die. Death is a way of escape. No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man, but God is faithful. With every temptation, he has given us a way of escape. Even to the point of death, he has given us death as a way of escape. So when we die, we die to God to glory. Very important point. I wish you meditate on that. This is just too important for you to understand. Because you can get old and get so old and get so unhealthy and the Lord is able to keep you for 20 trillion years in that state of sickness and never escape. The Lord is able to get you looking like what was happening to Job and just keep you like that. He's able to do it. You don't die because you're sick. It's the Lord who kills you. And if the Lord does not kill you, you're going to remain in your filthiness. But praise the Lord for death. Death is our means of transportation to glory. Okay? So, what do we see? Sinners, whether angels or men, are in a state of sin, guilt and condemnation, and deserve only justice and punishment. And if any has to be saved, God has to exercise first his grace and then applies it as mercy, and this all in Jesus. So mercy is the application of grace. It is the ointment that is contained in the bottle of grace. But God has not bestowed saving grace toward the fallen angels. He, has, he also has not bestowed mercy on the holy angels because they never sinned. Okay? Mercy is for the sinful elect. Mercy is for the sinful elect. Those in Christ. Grace is both for the sinless angels and for the sinful elect. 
What is the common thing? It's Christ. You have to be in Christ. Whether you're sinful or you're sinless, you still need Christ. Otherwise, you're stumbling. You still need Christ. So now to the sinner. To be a sinner, because if people don't know that they are sinners, they will not understand what you're talking about. Okay? So we, we, we need to teach and have an understanding of what it means to be a sinner. Because when we understand what it means to be a sinner, we see the grace and mercy of God in operation. To be a sinner means one does not care about their sinful state. They don't care. To be a sinner means one is oblivious. They are unaware that they are a sinner. They think they die because they get old, not because of sin. They are oblivious to the reality and consequences of sin until, by God's grace, they have been awakened to it. God's grace is what awakens you to know that you are a sinner and who is in serious trouble. The rich man died and found himself in hell. And for the first time, he realized that he needed grace. And for the first time, he realized he needed mercy. And for the first time, he realized he needed peace with God. Grace, mercy, and peace with God from our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was late for him. It was late for him. Sinners do not seek for God's grace. Sinners do not seek. And they do not want God's grace. Matthew 24, 38. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. What was that saying? Sinners are busy kicking it. They are busy having fun. They are marrying, they are eating, and drinking. That's all they care about. And until the flood, but what is Jesus saying? He's saying they are busy having fun, but they don't know that there's judgment that's coming. Sinners don't know that there's judgment coming. And even when the grace of justification by faith alone in Christ is freely given as in the gospel... They reject it. They reject it because it's foolishness. They don't care about it. All they care about is, where am I going to party tonight? Grace is never sought by sinners. And is always rejected by sinners. Were it not for God's grace that subdues the rebellious and unwilling hearts of men and make them willing. The Lord has to make your heart willing to receive Christ. Otherwise, it's totally opposed to Christ. So John would say, For of his fullness we have all received. You have to receive. Grace upon grace. So this is the grace that softened your heart. Your heart of stone needs to be softened that it may receive anything. As soon as one bucket of grace, as I said, is used up, the Lord continues to supply. So grace is undeserved favor to those who need grace. 
<laughs> grace is undeserved favor to those who need grace, whose hope is only grace. But do not know that they need it. And do not want it. These are all true descriptions of you and I before Christ came. So, in your days of sin, you'd say, we will not let this man to rule over us. We will not let this Christ rule over us. We will not let grace to rule over us. Because grace is on the throne. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy in the time of need. Christ is sitting on the, on the throne. And men are being invited to come to the throne of grace who is Jesus Christ. And they say, we will not let this man to rule over us. Sinners do not seek grace from God. They seek merit. If anything, sinners want merit. They want to stand on their own hind legs and have God say, oh, you did very well. Or you tried your best. Come, let me give you a hug. It doesn't work like that. You have to receive the fullness of grace in Christ. And grace manifests itself in the forgiveness of sin. Grace manifests itself in the forgiveness of sin and not in a big house or a new car. We have to understand that. However hard things may be because you don't have as much money as you think you could use. That is the list of your trouble. Grace is not for purchasing things. It's for purchasing salvation. It's for the forgiveness of sin. And deliverance from the penalty of sin. From those who hate Christ. So the mystery of salvation is that any gets to heaven. The mystery of salvation that of the fallen humanity there's actually some who are going to go to heaven, given how much opposed they are to God. For God to say, I'm going to bring you into my blessedness, even you, the wicked and rebellious. I'm going to clean you up, and I'm going to present you to myself, holy and without blame. That's glorious. <laughs> That's grace. <laughs> That's my Jesus. So, what are we to learn from this? Men do not like the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election is what establishes the church. The church is only there because God, the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. To be chosen by Christ to be served in Christ, that he may demonstrate the riches and excellence of his glorious grace. You can't come to Christ outside election. God has chosen some to Christ. And we preach the gospel that those that have been chosen will hear the voice of the shepherd and they'll come. What did he say? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. And if you are hearing this, you are not hearing it for me. 
<laughs> you are hearing it from Christ himself. So election to salvation, whether of angels or of sinful men, magnifies the grace and mercy of God. That's why it's there. Grace is there for God to be God in your eyes. Grace is there so that when you see God, you see him for who he is. God. Not some exalted angel. Not some sugar daddy. He is the God of the universe. And all knees bow before him. And all knees shall only bow before him because he is a gracious God. So grace is a divine attribute and attitude that finds expression and application in Jesus, Jesus Christ towards the unworthy. You see, Jesus Christ is just too important. <laughs> There's only one word in this universe that's important. It's Jesus Christ. Okay? If you have your brain wiped out of everything that you know, just say, leave Jesus in there. Christ is the only name that means anything. Christ Jesus. If you have Christ, you have everything. Okay. The nature of divine grace. We are teaching. This, we have to say the thing that we need to say about these things. Because five years from now, you may want some good teaching on this. And I have to say the thing that the Lord has given me because they help your understanding to connect what this is all about. I can't just assume that you know what grace is. You say, oh, we are saved by grace. Every sinner who is going to church, Mormons say they are saved by grace, even though they are not saved. They are preaching and believing the wrong Jesus. And with the wrong Jesus, you are not saved. You only get saved by the wrong Jesus. I mean, by the right Jesus. And this is whom we are preaching. So it's important for us to understand what it really means to be saved by grace. And this is the nature of divine grace. It is an attribute of God. And because it is an attribute of God, it is an eternal attribute. It has always been with God. So God has always been favorably disposed towards you in Christ from eternity. This is why when you sinned and you were sinning in your days of darkness, God did not kill you. Because every time that you sinned, you had an opportunity to die and go to hell. But the grace of the Lord was already bestowed upon you from eternity. And that is how the Lord kept you. He kept you. Even in your days of darkness. Your days were so dark that if he had allowed you to go by yourself, you're going to hell. But grace is eternal. So listen to uh, 2 Timothy 1.9. God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted in Christ Jesus from all eternity. 
Okay? So the grace that we have is bestowed according to his purpose. His purpose, not in the purpose of the creature. And see how the grace was bestowed. It was bestowed in Jesus Christ. And when was it bestowed? In eternity. And because it's the grace of God that he had from eternity, it is sovereign and free. It is sovereign and free. And what do we mean by sovereign? It means it has its foundation in God himself. He does not have to look, and he did not look to see who was going to believe in him. He did not do that. He's sovereign and free because he did not set up a committee to say, okay, what are we going to do with Crystal? He did not do that. You were not even there. God set up this in his own mind from eternity, and he was not constrained or motivated by anything outside himself. And because of that, the bestowal of his grace is independent of human merit. It's independent of your goodness or your badness. Even if you were good, that would not give you the right to be in the presence of God. Your goodness could not give you the right to be in the presence of God. He has to give it to you. He has to give it to you. So he says, it's according to his grace and not according to our works. Okay. According to his grace, not according to our works. So then Romans 3.24 would say, we are justified freely by his grace. We are justified freely by his grace. And Romans 11.5.6 would say, even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Are you hearing that? Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if, it of, but if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So the apostle is saying, if it's work, you're going to stand on work alone. And if it's grace, you're standing on grace alone. So when you see yourself stumbling, and then you start looking at yourself and saying, well, I don't think I'm obeying Christ. I have to do something to make me feel good that I'm in obedience. No, you're already working. You're already working. And the very fact that you're struggling with sin is the reason why you need grace. Because grace takes you as you are. Grace takes you and receives you as you are, and then it conforms you to the image of Christ. And because God is sovereign... His grace is a sovereign grace. You see? That's why we are sovereign grace. God is sovereign, and his grace is sovereign grace. And because it's a sovereign grace, it's also a discriminating grace. He doesn't give it to everybody. Men of religion hate that. Do not think because someone is saying, I am a Christian, don't think they like this doctrine. No, they don't like it. They hate it. 
with passion because they don't like a God who does what he, whatever he wants. They don't want him. So it's a discriminating grace, which means it's not given to all. Okay? Eternal life is only for the elect. It chooses some and passes by others. Jacob, if I loved, and Esau, if I hated. That's the truth of the Bible. So we have our access to grace through Jesus Christ. We have our access to grace through Jesus Christ. Listen to the scriptures. Grace flows through Jesus Christ. And in Romans 5 verse 1 to 2, we hear this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So our grace has been bestowed to us through faith. We have our entrance into grace by faith and not by works. This doctrine, well, I was uh, going to Michigan yesterday. We passed through Sunbury. Oh, they're building some big churches there. It's amazing. This is beautiful, big churches. And I'm thinking, uh, are these guys actually preaching the gospel of God's grace? Or they're just giving people somewhere to go to validate themselves? To validate themselves as something. The gospel of God's grace makes you nothing. That way, when you have felt your nothingness, then you become something in Christ. And as long as you have something that you are holding on to yourself, that you think you are going to stand on, you still are not eligible for grace. You have to see your nothingness. You have to see your emptiness. You have to see your blindness. And then Christ will be your fullness. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> being justified freely. Freely. Through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see, there's nothing. Jesus is, you can't run away from Jesus. Okay. Whether in grace or out of grace, you can't run away from Jesus. You are going to meet Jesus in one way or the other. In the smoking section or the non-smoking section. He is there. You can't run away from Christ. The consequence of grace. Because of the nature of grace... Grace is a metal straight jacket. Okay? One size. Okay? It's one size. And because of the nature of grace, you can only approach grace one way. There's only one human attitude that is consistent with the nature of grace. And it's faith. Faith is the only human attitude that honors grace for the 
for what grace is. Anything else, if you have grace plus anything else, or faith plus something else, you're too big. You won't be able to fit. <laughs> you got to lose some weight. <laughs> you got to lose some weight. It's faith that makes you fit in the jacket of grace. Faith makes you fit without any trouble into the jacket of grace. Anything else is going to make you overweight. I'm telling the truth. You are overweight for the jacket of grace. Okay? It's tailor-made. So faith is what honors Christ. And that's what John is teaching. When he says of those that received him, those that received him, he gave the right to be called the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor human flesh, nor the will of man, but the will of God. And from him we have received the fullness of grace. That's all that he saying. It's another way of saying the same thing. We have been born of God, and that is why we believe in Christ. Okay. Romans 4, 6, 4, 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So it has to be by faith. So don't worry about not being good. You cannot be good. You cannot be good. You are not good. Even when you think you are good, you actually may be worse than what you are on a day that you think you are doing bad. Ephesians 2, 4 to 9. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Man dead in trespasses and sins. No merit, no life. Made alive, raised up, and seated by Christ, in Christ, through the grace that is in Christ. For what purpose? For the showing, for showing the surpassing riches of his grace towards you in Christ. The richness of God is not Shown in Bill Gates or Oprah. That's what they say. The richness of God is shown. If you want to see how rich God is. <laughs> it's not in the stuff. It's not in your banking account. It's in faith. So the richness of God towards you. Is that he has given you grace in Christ Jesus. We have to reorient the way we think. Okay? All the other stuff is just stuff. Okay? If you have 
500 diamonds, it doesn't matter if you get 2,000 more. It's just stuff. Okay? It's just diamonds. You see what I need to sleep. You see what I need to eat. This grace bestows life that is eternal. It bestows a quality to the life, not just a long life, because even those in hell have eternal type of life, but it's different in quality to the life that you have in Christ. Because you are going to be in the presence of God and seeing him and talking to the God of glory. I can't wait for that day. (laughs) So the apostle says, you get these surpassing riches of Christ, of God in Christ by faith. Okay? And faith, I have to hammer this. (laughs) Faith does not work because it makes a claim about your own goodness. Works make a claim. Oh, Lord, you have to look at me. I hope the Lord was seeing me because I was good for that moment. Doesn't work like that. You want grace. And faith is how you honor the richness of God. So no work, no boasting. Romans 3, 27, 28. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So the demonstration of God's righteousness is through faith. The law of faith that Apostle Paul talks about here is just saying the principle of faith. Okay? So when, when you're believing by faith, that's the law of faith. Okay? So he's saying, what law do we exclude boasting? Because men are going to boast. Oh, we're going to bust. Do you see my shoes? You, I like your handbag. Ah, oh, it's nice. I found it on sale. <laughs> like you put it on sale yourself. <laughs> we love to bust. And God won't take busting. God doesn't like busting. So he has designed salvation in such a way that naked you come to him. Nothing. No you or truck. Okay? You're not hitching a you or trailer and take it to heaven and say, Lord, look what I did. No. God is going to say, damn that thing. Okay? So, so here is what the Lord says in Romans 4, 1 to 5. You see, if the church understood the book of Romans, we would not have a free will Baptist church. There's nothing called a free will church. It does not exist. The church only exists because of the sovereign will of God. The church would do well to know the book of Romans. Listen to what Apostle Paul says. Romans 4, 1-5. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So you may have something to boast to me, but not before God. There's nothing. So he says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does, who does not work, 
but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. You are the ungodly. And you need to be justified. And justified freely. Okay? So what, what is being said there by Apostle Paul? This is what he's saying. If you try to approach God in any other way, which is not faith, then he has to grant salvation to you as a paycheck. That's what he's saying. He has to write a paycheck to you that says, Celia Mesa granted eternal life for the work that she did. And I'm telling you, your paycheck is not going to run for even a week. Your paycheck of righteousness cannot run for a week. It won't even buy you a hamburger of righteousness. If, if life had to be based on your righteousness, your earnings would not be enough to buy a hamburger and some fries, small fries, the kids' fries. You have not enough righteousness. So the apostle is saying, faith is what gives you 100% righteousness. And if God has to bestow salvation based on your works, then your works have to be, sorry, then righteousness becomes a payment that God is obligated to give you. And that is inconsistent with a God who says, my glory I will not share. God will not share his glory. Okay? So faith is the only attitude. Faith. Faith is the only attitude that puts you and I into the dust. It is the only attitude that causes us to be dependent on someone who is not ourselves. It's the only attitude that looks to Christ for its hope. Okay? And if God's favor is to come to us apart from our own merit, it has to come through Christ. It has to come through Christ. And this is a very difficult understanding in this culture. It's very difficult understanding this culture because it's a culture of independence, of, in, of freedom. Uh, when you get an offer, don't think from someone. Oh, let me take you to lunch. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think they are being pious. They are denying his faith. They are denying. They are saying, I can take care of myself. You keep your five bucks. Okay. That attitude, if you amplify it, it goes right into salvation. Because if you are denying my invitation just for one, one time, one day, to take you out to lunch, I'm not saying you don't have enough money for yourself. I'm just saying, let me treat you. But people say, no, 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 no. I am self-sufficient. And now, when it comes to the gospel, God says, now, for eternity, I need you to recognize that you are insufficient of yourself. I'm inviting you to a free lunch and a free dinner in Christ for all of eternity. And say, no, 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 no. No, Lord, I'm not coming, not yet. I got things going on for me. Okay? That's the attitude. That's why we preach this message. Freely, nobody's paying to hear this. And yet men don't like it. Okay? Because they have something else that they're trusting in. Okay? So anyway, verse 117. We're going to finish this. Sometime today. 
<laughs> For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The law was given to Moses, which implies that the law did not belong to Moses. The law was given to Moses. It was not his. It was God's law. But look at the comparison. But grace and truth came with Christ. So grace as a divine attribute did not come with Moses. There was grace right from the Garden of Eden, right from when the first free will Baptist church was established in the Garden of Eden. There was grace in there. Okay? But that grace was only a shadow of the true grace that would come with Christ Jesus. So the law does not have grace. The law cannot give you grace as to attain eternal life. It's impossible. It cannot be done. It never was God's intention to save you by the law. The law was just supposed to show you your need of grace. Okay? So he says, Moses was given the law at Mount Sinai, and this shows his inferior position to Christ, okay, in person and function and rank and to the work of God. Okay? But grace and truth were realized. You see, the difference. It was realized. It was accomplished. It was brought to bear through Jesus Christ. So what could Apostle Paul be talking about? This is another sermon. Okay? Uh, I'm just going to touch on some important things from here. But this is another sermon that I go for maybe five months. <laughs> Apostle Paul is positioning the superiority of Christ over all. So, not Apostle Paul, Apostle John. Okay? Christ is superior to John the Baptist. Christ is superior to the man who is said to have been greater than all of those who were born of a woman. But now we are also being told that Christ is superior to Moses. Okay? So, Christ is superior to Moses and what Moses stood for. It's not just Moses for the sake of Moses. Moses is a very important and central figure in the Old Testament. And he is very important in the history of salvation. Because the law was given to him. So John is telling us that Christ, being the word that became flesh, is superior to John the Baptist, who is the greatest of all prophets. And he is superior to Moses and the law and all the institutions that Moses represented. That's what is being said. So you can't say, oh, we are obeying the law. No, you can't obey the law. If you, ob if you want to obey the law, you go to Christ. You don't go to Moses. Okay? It sounds righteous. And men who say, oh, we use the law for this and use the law for that. No. What you need is Christ. And Christ gives you everything that you need, that which the law could not do, God has done in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, if the children that God wants are to be born, they cannot be born by the law. That's what he's saying. The children that God wants, they cannot be born by obedience to the law. They have to be born 
uh, through Jesus Christ. So why the law then? I'm going to give you a quick summary of why the law was given. Okay? Romans 5.13 For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. For until the law, sin was in the world. So sin was always in the world. But sin is not imputed or reckoned to someone when there is no law. If you are driving on a highway where there is no speed limit, you can drive as fast as your car can take you. And the cop has no right to stop you for speeding because there is nothing written there. But as soon as they post a speed limit and say 65, and Angela goes by 100, she's in trouble. Okay, And she may have been doing that for the past five years without the law being there. She's been speeding, but there was no law to say she was speeding. That's what Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, before the law was given, men were always sinning. And until the law was given, men did not know they were sinning, but they were always sinning. So the law was given that men may know that they're sinners. Romans 5, 20, 21. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. So what we see is the law was given to incite more sin from you. Okay? I've always given an example of how the law works. It's like blinking. Okay? Crystal, stop blinking. Try it. You can't stop blinking. Why? Because that's what you do by nature. So sinning is like blinking. That's what you do by nature. You can't stop sinning. So the purpose of the law is to tell you that blinking is sin. <laughs> Let someone will hear this and say, oh, this is, did you hear this preacher saying blinking is sin? No, that's not what we're saying. Uh, we're just giving an illustration that is natural to us like blinking is. That's just what you do, and you're just being told that this is who you are. You sin naturally and that easy without even thinking. You're just blinking and you're just sinning, Okay. Galatians 3, 19, 24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. So he's just saying the law was given that once you have been told that you're a sinner to show you where you could find hope. That's basically what I was saying. The law was given to tell you you're a sinner and for you to realize that you can't help yourself but run to Christ. Okay? This is the one who has been revealed. Matthew 17, 1 to 5. Six days later, Jesus took with him, that's the transfiguration, James and John and his brother and led them up on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You have Elijah. You have Moses. These are representations of the prophets and the law. And God says to Peter, No more tabernacle. I have tabernacled in him who is transfigured. You don't need the law. You need him who is transfigured. This one is the new meeting place for you and me. He is the tabernacle. We don't need three tabernacles. We need one tabernacle. Christ Jesus is the new tabernacle. You meet him there. Christ is superior to the law. Okay? So Apostle Paul will say, Romans 10, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Okay? If you want to go to the law, you're not a believer. Oh, that will get me in trouble. But that's what he says. <laughs> Christ is the end of the law to... Uh, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Okay. Now to the last page. Praise the Lord for the last page. Uh, I got this from uh, Arthur Pink. And I thought it was a good summary uh, and understanding of the difference between law and grace. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to read it without explaining anything. He gives seven points. Number one, the law addresses men as members of the old creation. Grace makes men members of a new creation. Number two, the law manifest, manifested what was in man, which is sin, and grace manifests what is in God, love, life, and righteousness. The law demanded righteousness from man. Grace brings righteousness to man. The law sentences a living man to death. Grace brings a dead man to life. The law speaks of what man must do for God. Grace tells of what Christ has done for man. And the law gives knowledge of sin. Grace puts away sin. The, the law brought God out to man. Grace brings man into God. Okay? So this is the law and the gospel to be expanded in the future editions. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. I took time and preached on this, maybe two sermons from this one back. Basically, this is it. No one has seen the essence, the essential essence of God. Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah 6, but Isaiah did not see Jesus in the way that Jesus sees God. So Jesus is the only one who has seen God for who God is as a spirit. Okay. So Apostle Paul would say in 1 Timothy 6, 16, he alone possesses immortality and lives in inapproachable light, unapproachable light, whom no human has ever seen or is able to see. You see, you cannot see and are not able to see God outside Christ. You have to be put in the cleft of the rock. We talked about that. Okay. So, in closing, I began by saying 
This was he of whom I spoke. This is of whom I've been speaking. The Christ of God is a Christ of grace. The Christ of God is a Christ of grace. This is the one who was in the beginning with God. Whose life was the light of man. And this one, this Christ who brings grace is the one who created all things. And of his fullness we have received, we have all who are in Christ received grace upon grace or grace in place of grace. Grace and truth were realized through him because they are in him. He is the only begotten of the Father who is in the bosom of God and has explained God to us. How do you know God? Go to Christ. This one is God's grace towards us. This one who is full of grace and truth is the mediator of the covenant of grace. We are saved under the covenant of grace. Not the old covenant of do's and don'ts. Christ brings a new covenant in his blood which is called the covenant of grace. And he chose you and me by grace. And he saved you and me by grace. And we are justified freely by the grace that is in Christ. And this grace is God's provision. This grace is God's provision for you and I through Jesus Christ. Berean, this is of whom I spoke. This is my Christ. I pray that he will be your Christ. This day by faith. You uphold, up, what's the word I'm looking for? You apprehend. You apprehend this Jesus of whom John spoke about by faith in Christ. Let's go before him in prayer.